0: Paul tells young Timothy God uses scripture to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. If you are not being prepared and equipped to do God's work according to scripture, then you are probably a nominal Christian. Nominal means in name only. Jesus makes a shocking statement in the closing of his Sermon on the Mount. you who break God's laws. Being made complete and equipped by scripture is a matter of life and death.
1: Well, Dr. R.C. Sproul, uh, one of the great theologians of the past century and into this century, he said this, we live in the most anti-intellectual and anti-theological era in the history of the church, which is odd because never has has a population ever been so educated as we are today. And yet, he would say that we are the most anti-intellectual and the most anti-theological era in the history of the church. And he says that's because the church has too often taken its marching orders from the culture. That is, the culture tells us what to do. How many know that that's happening all the time in churches all over Winnipeg and all over the world? The culture is telling us how to do church and do it in a way that we we will enjoy it and we will have fun. I remember one POC pastor saying, if you're not having fun at church, you're not doing church right. And my, my answer to that was, what, what chapter and verse of the Bible did you get that out of? I don't remember reading that anywhere. Sproul says... When the culture dictates and when the culture denies the existence of objective truth and the church follows the culture, then, of course, the church is going to turn away from loving God with her mind and her soul and all her strength. And that's where we are today, folks. This is, this is the reality. And, folks, this is really why I felt it so necessary to do this sermon series called the truth or truth, because we need to know what the Bible says, and we need to know that, that our lives, our Christian lives, are built on the Word of God. The Word of God is the solid rock. Remember, Jesus, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the truth. He is the Word. He is the revelation of God. He sums up the law and the prophets. Isn't that what he said? He sums up the Scripture. If you look to Jesus, you'll see all the Scripture in him, and so Jesus, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, what does he say? He says, the foolish man built his house upon the sand, and the wise man built his house upon the rock. What is the rock? It's Jesus Christ and his teaching. And so look, at folks, all around us, the world is on sinking sand. It, you, you wake up every day, and you don't know what, what kind of crazy thing the world is going to believe. It, it, I just saw a debate that, that where, where someone was debating that men can have babies, and and everybody's like, oh yeah, well, that's that's good. That makes sense. Does it make sense to you? It's it's insanity, people. It's it's anti-intellectual. So let me just share this with you. Um, this uh, this is Catherine Hancock Ragsdale. She's an openly lesbian Episcopal priest. Episcopal is is uh, means Anglican, and she is the new president and CEO of the National Abortion Federation. Okay, is your brain, are your brains blown out yet? Ragsdale is an ordained Episcopal priest whose ministry is advancing abortion on demand. She said abortion is a blessing, and she called abortionists personal heroes and modern-day saints. This This is a woman who is also the dean of one of the Episcopal seminaries in the U.S., declaring people who give abortions as modern-day saints. It absolutely blows your mind. So listen to this. On July 6, 2001, just a few months ago, Ryan P. Birch says, Since 2009, a typical year in the... the, uh, in the Anglican or Episcopal Church sees an attendance dip of 25 to 35,000 people every year. In other words, it's on the decline that quick. And he says that barring a tremendous revival, the end is coming very quickly for our friends in the Episcopal tradition. Well, I would not call these people my friends. I, I can't be friends with people who believe in killing babies. You see, Pastor John, you're being dramatic the way you put that. I'm not being dramatic. That's just a fact. And we know that with, with true with true certainty, don't we? United Church of Canada. Uh, There's a fellow that did a, a survey or a study of what's going on within the United Church of Canada. And uh, I was looking at their constitution, the constitution of the United Church of Canada. I'm gonna tell you, you never saw a more insipid reg than their Constitution and members of the General Council look at listen, listen to this, pay, they, in order to be a member on the General Council of the United Church of Canada, they pay special attention to diversity of gender and age, racial and cultural identities and sexual expressions. That's the most important thing, but not one word about whether or not that person has faith in Christ. Does this shock anybody? Maybe you're not shocked because you're used to it now. You've been around, you've seen so much of it. Here's what one, of the, one man in the, in the United Church says, and this is projecting to the year 2025. And he says, David Ewert says, that by 2025, the tenants will hit 34,000 people, a decline of 75,000 since 1990. There'll be zero baby dedications, there'll be zero kids in Sunday school, there'll be zero marriages, and worst of all, zero professions of faith in Christ. So then you have to ask yourself the question, what's the point? And you remember a few years ago I mentioned a minister. Uh, She's a minister in Ontario, and she is a a self-professed atheist, and yet she wants to be a minister in the Church of Christ. Well, we know that this church is what we would call apostate. Say apostate. 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 They've, they've turned from God. They, they don't know who God is. I believe there may be a few people in there that are converted, but the problem is is, is they have rejected the truth. Now, can everybody, does everybody understand that? This is what happens when you, when you reject the truth. You die. It's just that simple. It's not rocket science. Anybody can figure this out. There was a, an article done uh, by a young woman who was researching Christianity in Canada and according to one National Heritage Group uh, survey, over the next 10 years, 9,000 churches and other faith-owned buildings in Canada will be shutting down. Again, is that shocking to you? I didn't say 900 or 90 or 9. I said 9,000 will be shutting down. And the question that, that the National Heritage Group is asking is, what is your group hoping to do about this problem? Well, here's the thing. They're willing to do just about anything except the most important thing, which is to preach the gospel. They'll do anything. They'll have, they'll have uh, wiener roasts, and, and they'll have bake days, bake sales. They'll do anything but preach the gospel. So here's the thing. You and I need to understand that when the church stops preaching the gospel and goes liberal, the church dies. You, you, have you noticed that? Every single church that embraces the ideas, the philosophies of the culture, dies. There are none that are thriving. There are none that are growing. The only churches that are thriving, that are growing, are churches that hold to Orthodox Christianity, that hold to the Scripture, that look to the Word of God as the authoritative Word of God. This is the book we live by. We do not change the Scripture because there's something in there that offends us. How many know that the Bible offends everybody? If you haven't haven't experienced that yet, then you just probably haven't read your Bible (laughs) because there's something in there for all of us to offend us and to point out to us what's wrong. That's what we learned last week, right? The Scripture is useful for doing what? For correcting us, for reproof, ex- reproof to expose us. Nobody likes to be exposed, but that's what the Scripture does. It exposes us. And so it's critical for our growth and for our development. Now, one of my heroes, Jay Gresham Machen. He wrote about liberal Christianity back in the 1920s, and he said, liberal Christianity isn't just another type of Christianity, but it's an entirely different religion, one that's dressed in the spirit of the age, in religious garb. They are advancing a different God, a different understanding of sin, and a completely different salvation. And from my experience, Actually, there is no salvation message there at all. There is no hope. All they offer are platitudes, the platitudes of the philosophers that have lived through the ages. So here's the thing, folks. Liberal Christianity does not preach the authoritative word. We all understand that. And what you need to understand is that liberal Christianity is actually preaching another gospel. They sometimes call it... progressive Christianity. Sometimes we call it the social gospel. Um, In South America in the 1960s and 70s, they came up with what was called liberation theology, trying to marry uh, Marxism and Christianity. And of course, you know that this is not the true gospel. It's another gospel. Here's what the Apostle Paul says about people that preach another gospel. He says, may they be accursed, anathema. May they be cursed, So those who preach another gospel are, in fact, under a curse. Now, what we need to do is we need to make sure that we here at Cross Church continue to affirm our conviction that the Word of God is the only authority that we live by. Would you say amen to that? Because, folks, that's all you're going to get as long as I'm your pastor. (laughs) God helping me. So here's what Paul says. We, remember, we're looking at 2 Timothy chapter 3. You can turn your Bibles there if you'd like. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And now we're looking at the very last verse of that chapter. And um, let's take a look at it. So verse 16 starts, all Scripture is breathed out by God and made profitable, and is profitable. We, we, we learned that last week. And uh, it's, it's profitable that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work. So that's what we want to talk about this morning. That those scriptures are profitable so that we may be complete and equipped for every good work. That word complete is a Greek word, artios. And it means to be perfect, to be fitted especially. Has anybody ever bought a fitted sheet? How many know that a queen-size fitted sheet does not fit a king-size mattress? Everybody knows that? And for goodness sake, sometimes even the king-size sheets don't fit king-size mattresses. In fact, you have to know whether it's a California king or a regular king. How many knew there was such a thing? But you see, that's what they're doing. We've got to make it fit perfect. Well, this is exactly what we're we're learning here. We we are being fitted. We we are, in fact, having special skill. That's what artios means. It it means having that special, uh, unique skill that's fitted for one purpose, for one thing. And in this case, it's to do the work of God. Now, that word, again, for every good work, we understand that to be what? It means doing the will of God, whatever God wants us to do. So how many know that when we do God's will, those are good works? And when we are not doing God's will, we call that what? Sin. Thank you. I'm glad you didn't say bad works. It's sin. It's exactly what it is. And this is what holiness is. Holiness is doing God's will. It's doing this good work. Now, I know some of you are all overwhelmed, maybe, and think, I don't know how to do, I don't know how to do these good works. Well, yes, you do, because the scripture teaches you. That's the point. This is why we read the scripture so that we are prepared, equipped, enabled, perfected. Yeah, that's what Artios means. It means complete. It means perfect. Perfectly able to do the work of God. And 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 the work of God, is, it can really be broken down into two categories. It's caring for people, for your brothers and sisters in Christ, and secondly, it's communicating the gospel of Jesus Christ. Does everybody get that? The man of God, and in, if you've got the NLT, it'll, say, uh, it'll talk about the people of God, um, but we understand that when we talk about the man of God. In fact, it's the word anthropos, which means people, and it can be translated man or it can be translated as people, no problem. The phrase is, oh, tu theu anthropos. And this is actually a common phrase used in the Old Testament to, to designate a messenger of God. So what what Paul is telling Timothy is that he is, in fact, a messenger of God. Now, I want you to stop and think about that, because that's what I am as your pastor. I am... I am the man of God. I am the messenger of God. I like what the Africans call their pastors. They call them man of God. In fact, that whenever I go to Africa, that's what they call me, man of God. And I thought, you know, maybe that's too high and lofty a title. I'm not the pope. But in fact, they're correct because that's exactly what it says. We are, we are messengers of God. Now, Timothy has a calling on his life to full-time ministry. But here's, here's what we can also say about this passage, and that is, is it all God's people are called to be messengers of God. I have, I have a special calling as as, a, as a, an elder, as a teaching elder, as a pastor who oversees the flock, but in fact, everybody who is a Christian is called to be a messenger of God. And what do we do as messengers of God? Well, we tell people the good news about Jesus Christ. Now, I've hear, I heard people say this over and over again. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not qualified. I don't know how to do that. I don't know... I don't know, I think it's somebody else's job. Pastor, can you do it? How about if I bring them to church? I'll bring the fish to the church and you, you fillet them. Uh, <laughs> no, listen, the, the Bible is sufficient to teach you and instruct you and show you how to bring the good news to the people in your life. So when I hear people say, I don't know what to say, my answer would be simple. Start reading the Bible, start memorizing Scripture, And start trusting that the Holy Spirit will lead you in all the things that you need to say. How many remember that that's exactly what Jesus said to the apostles? Don't worry. I'm sending the Holy Spirit. He lives in you, and he's going to remind you of everything I've taught you. So are you getting the picture here? If we don't have the the Scripture, then we're in trouble. But because we have the Scripture, we are equipped. Now... uh, one of the things that has amazed me, especially about our work in Burundi, is the number of pastors who have had no official training. They've never been to Bible school. But what they do have is they have the Holy Spirit, and they have the Word of God, and they have each other. And through the work of the Spirit, and through the accountability of the brethren, of the brothers and sisters in Christ, and the Word of God, somehow, some way, they're able... To pastor their churches and see their churches grow. is pretty astonishing. That's the power of Scripture, my friends. Now you know why someone like like uh, Wycliffe would put his life on the line to get scriptures into the hands of everybody, because it's that important. It's a matter of life and death. When I was 20 years old, I just turned 20. It was my birthday was uh, I was is in April. I was. Uh, I was 19 years old in April. I graduated, and I went to intern at Charleswood Gospel Temple, which is now Grace Community Church. This was uh, Pastor Housen's church. He's the one that hired me. And um, here I was just 20 years old. Now think about some 20-year-olds that you know. And then then imagine Pastor Housen saying, well, I'm going on vacation for two weeks with my family. You're in charge. I at, at tw- just turned 20. so I'm in charge of the whole church. Yeah, and you can use my office. And here I am, a, a 20-year-old. Now, here, here's the amazing thing. It never, it never even crossed my mind that, that I couldn't do it. It never even occurred to me. Now, you might think that was youthful arrogance, but in fact, folks, I had been teaching Sunday school since I was 16 years of age. i have been counseling at camp since I was 16 years of age. I knew the Scripture, and I knew the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through me. It never occurred to me that I couldn't preach sermons for a couple weeks and do Bible studies and also do youth. Now, I'm not sitting here bragging, to God be the glory, but what I'm trying to show you is the power of Scripture to equip us to do the things that God has called us to do. But we're lazy. We want somebody else to. Pastor, you, you do it. Pastor, and you, you know what? Here's the thing. You know, we, we all like to celebrate the Reformation. I do. And, and, and here's the amazing thing, is that in so many evangelical churches and Pentecostal churches, We actually act more like Roman Catholics than we do like true Protestants. What do I mean by that? Well, we think that the only people who can do ministry in the church are those who have been ordained, who went to Bible college, who got their degree. They're the only ones that can do ministry in the church. Pastor Allen, we're going to just show up, and you feed us. You take care of us. You, you do the work of the ministry, and we'll, we'll just be here to consume. I want you to understand that if you know your Bible, you know that that is a fallacy. It totally ignores the whole concept of the body of Christ, where each person in the body is a member that has a special responsibility. And if you don't do the thing that God has called you to do, then you make the rest of the body suffer. Does this make sense to everybody? This is why we need to know the Scripture. Now, what I want to do is I want to quickly recap for you what we've been reviewing over the past few weeks. In verses 13 to 14, we were reminded that these are evil days that we live in. We were reminded that we need to stand on the word of truth, and the apostle Paul is telling Timothy, this is a letter to Timothy, he's telling Timothy that these are... Don't be easily swayed by the deceptions of this world. There's false teachers everywhere, and they will do whatever they can to deceive you. How many know that? You don't you didn't know that, eh? This is why I advise against going on YouTube and listening to just any old preacher, any old pastor. These are evil days. Deception is everywhere, and and we're told that there'll be false teachers, false preachers, and false messiahs that will arise. Well, here's the thing. What is deception really all about? Well, it goes right back to the Garden of Eden. What does, what does Satan do? How does he cause humanity to fall into sin? Exactly. Doubts God. Doubts God's Word. He, in, he, he plants seeds of doubt in the minds of Adam and Eve. Did God really say? didn't did he really say it like that. Did, did God really mean that? I don't know if He really meant it like that. Did He really mean that? And then instantly, you've got these seeds of doubt, and now you're starting to question. Well, maybe the Bible doesn't say that. Maybe the Bible doesn't mean that. Maybe that doesn't apply for today. Maybe that's from yesterday. Maybe that's from a different generation. Maybe that's a, a cultural issue. Maybe, maybe we we shouldn't we shouldn't take it so so literally. You've heard that. There was, there was a movement called higher criticism that started doing what we call demythologizing the Scripture. Well, God didn't, Jesus didn't really do all those miracles, and it really didn't happen. And he didn't really walk on water, and the children of Israel didn't really go through, through the sea that was parted. It was the Sea of Reeds. It wasn't the Red Sea. They, they were able to walk through it. And we try to to demythologize, we try to take out the supernatural from the Word of God, but I'm telling you, my friends, you cannot take the supernatural out of Scripture because our faith depends on the supernatural work of God. We call it the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and without the resurrection, the supernatural resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is no Christianity. There's no faith. So Satan has been at work trying to to cause us to doubt the Scripture. And this is why in the second week, we went to verse 15, and the Apostle Paul reminds Timothy that through the Scriptures, through the Holy Bible, through the Holy Scriptures, that he was able to be wise for salvation through Jesus Christ. What is he saying? He's saying the Old Testament tells the story of Jesus Christ. And you can become a Christian from the truth of the Old Testament. Did you get that? The New Testament wasn't compiled yet. With the Old Testament, Timothy was able to become a Christian. He was able to know Christ. Wow. And then I showed you how the Old Testament canon, the canon of Scripture, is the Word of God, how it came from God God inspired the prophets to write down their observations of what was happening around them. And it began with Moses, who received the tablets from God, written by the very finger of God on the stones. We call them the Ten Commandments. And then we read about how Moses sat down and started writing out the things that God revealed to him. And then we see every book of the Old Testament after that, how it has the stamp of of approval from the prophets of God. And if it didn't have the stamp of approval from the prophet of God, it wasn't Holy Scripture. What, what What do we need to understand here? We need to understand that the Old Testament is the word of God, and if it's the word of God, then when God speaks, you better do what he says. It's the authoritative Word of God. It's not suggestions. It's not a philosophy textbook. It is God speaking to his people. And you have to do what he says. And then last week, we talked about how the Scripture, the Holy Scripture is breathed out by God, inspired by God. And we found that the books of the New Testament now have the stamp of approval, not of the prophets, but of the apostles. These are the ones that were with Jesus all along. These are the ones to whom Jesus said, after I'm gone, then the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit whom I'm going to send to you is going to remind you of everything I said, and you will have it, and then you put it together in a collection, and away we go. Every single book in the New Testament has a stamp of approval of an apostle. If it doesn't have the stamp of approval of of, of an apostle, it's not in there except with the exception of the book of Hebrews. But if you've ever read, read the book of Hebrews, you know that that is 100%. We, we, look, put it like this. I, I, let me back up. It's not that we don't have the stamp of approval. We don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews, but we know that when we read the book of Hebrews, it is perfect Christian theology. It's perfect. It agrees with Old Testament. It agrees with everything else in the New Testament. So here's the thing. If this is the authoritative word of God, if this is God's word, if this is the word that came to us from the mouth of God, then you better do what it says. Plain and simple as that. And the question is, are you? Are you doing what God's word tells you? So folks, you need to know that this book is the word of God. It's the truth. It's the, watch this, it's the absolute truth. And today we are learning that this absolute truth is what completes us. It perfects us. And more than perfecting us, it, how, does everybody understand the word sanctification? Does everybody understand that word to, sanctified? To be sanctified by God means to be made holy. So God is making us holy. He is completing us with his word and, and by the Spirit. You are being prepared for an eternity with God. Did you know that? As long as you're on this Earth, God is busy molding you and shaping you, and what's he shaping you into? to Christ, to the image of Christ. You need to know that. That's God's will for your life that you become like Jesus. And so this is what the Word of God does. It it completes you. It perfects you. It shapes you and molds you so that not only are you living as a man or woman that's holy, but now you are doing the will of God. That's what it means to be a part of the people of God. You do the will of God. And this is what holiness is. Holiness is doing the will of God every time. Now, how can we possibly live that way? Folks, by, by knowing the word of God and by living according to the word of God. So nonbelievers, they don't like it when we use words like absolute or, or words like authority. Here's, here's the new common idea, the new common idea that's being floated these days they're saying now that doubt this is the this is modern day philosophers and 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 from what i understand there's there is a a major hollywood figure let me just leave it like that who gave a speech and said that doubt is a virtue and certainty is dangerous and everybody oh yes they clap for that doubt is being doubtful is a virtue that's absurd when I go to the doctor, I don't want him to have doubts. If you're going to be cutting me open, you better know what you're doing, pal. And I don't want to hear that, you're, that you've got a 99% success rate. That's not, that means one in 100. That's not good enough for me, folks. Doubt is not a virtue. This is satanic people. Do you understand that? And here's why they say that, that doubt is a virtue and that certainty is is dangerous. Because certainty, they say, causes wars. Those Christians, they cause wars. They cause division because of their absolutes. Christians are dangerous, they say. Well, that's absurd. Because in our certainty, we have gone around the world feeding the hungry. We have built schools and universities, and we have built clinics and it's Christians are the first ones on the, on the site wherever there's a need in the world. Have you ever noticed that? Certainty is not dangerous. Certainty is desirable. Certainty is something that we can stand on. He calls it the word of God. It's truth. So when you hear in your university setting, when you hear it in your, in your work setting that the Bible is not dependable and that doubt is a virtue, then you need to use your wisdom and start speaking up. Now, we do know what wisdom is because we just did a whole series about that in the summertime. Use the wisdom God has given you and use the word of God that God has given you and speak to those lies. Satan is a deceiver. That's who he is. He's a deceiver of the brethren. Satan loves to cast doubt on God's word. This has been his ancient MO, his modus operandi from the beginning. Cast doubt on God's word, cast doubt on God's word, cast doubt on God's word. And you'll say things like this, and you'll hear things like this. Oh, don't be so naive. No one can know for sure. Folks, I'm going to tell you something today. I know for sure. I know that when I die, I'm going to heaven. I had somebody, we had a United Church group here once. They wanted to find out what we believe. I said, are you sure you want to know what we believe? Are you sure? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Okay, here it goes. And I told them. I told them the way of salvation. And I said, and when I die, I'm going to heaven. And I know it for sure. And one man got really angry with me. How can you be so sure? How do you know? Because for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. I'm going to heaven. What about you? Are you going to heaven? You can be sure of that. I can be certain of that. How can I be certain of that? Because I've been completed by God's word. Because I've been equipped. I know the word of God. I know the truth. And the truth is what sets me free. Hallelujah. This is exciting stuff. Oh my goodness, this is wonderful. So Christian is a sure thing, it's a certain thing. I want you to know that every nation, you just do if you're a student of history, go back and look at what has happened through the course of history. Every nation that has adopted and embraced the truth of God's word, every nation that lived by Christian values, prospered. Was was healthier than every other nation, was wealthier than every other nation, was freer than everybody in every other nation. And of course, Happiness. That's the power of God's word. This is why we're told that that righteousness exalts a nation, but where lies and truth, where lies and where truth is 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 hated, there you will find destruction and sorrow. And so we have a culture now that's telling us to throw away the truth, throw away the scripture, throw away our Christian heritage, throw, get rid of the Ten Commandments. And in many courtrooms across North America, you'd find copy, uh, maybe a, 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 a granite copy of the Ten Commandments, take them out, get them out. That's that's God. That's religion. That that's 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 too much certainty for our liking. And now we see what's happening in North America. Do you know that the USA really is one of the greatest miracles in the history of the world? And a lot of people don't know this, but if you, if you are a student of history, you know that the USA began with, with an Aboriginal community for sure. Nothing was happening. And then we see these Christians come from, from Europe, Christians who are being persecuted for their faith. We call them pilgrims. And what happened was, is that not, not everybody who came over, but many who came over, they were living according to Christian values. How many understand that so often what happens is that with, with God, with truth, with Christianity, comes a satanic delusion or a satanic attack, a satanic uh, uh, enemy that, that tries to latch itself to Christianity. We need to be able to distinguish between what's true and what's false. You'll hear so often people will say, Christianity has not been good for the world because it was Christians that did these crusades and slaughtered Jews and slaughtered and slaughtered uh, Muslims, and, and on and on it goes. Can I tell you that this has nothing to do with Jesus? This is, this is behavior that has not been governed by Scripture. And you and I need to understand that. So the next time you hear somebody saying, oh, I, 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 Christians have done damage to the world. Look at the horrible things in, in these uh, residential schools. This had nothing to do with Jesus. This was done in the name of Jesus, but had nothing to do with Jesus, but this is Satan. We see the way Satan works. Let's not not be stupid about this. Don't back down from your faith. Don't back away from your faith because Satan has won a, a little battle. Oh, yes, he's going to win battles, but how many know today that ultimately Jesus wins the war? So don't back away from your faith. Don't back away from the truth expose the error, expose the fake Christians, expose them. This has nothing to do with Jesus. No follower of Christ would do what was done to those, those poor children. And our hearts are overwhelmed with sorrow. But that had nothing to do with Jesus. Jesus. And it had nothing to do with what it means to be a Christian. You need to know that and be confident of that. So we need to be a people of certainty. And this is why Luke wrote the book, the Gospel of Luke. Look what he says. His having carefully investigated everything from the beginning. He's talking about, about Jesus Christ and and. And what what had happened? He said, I also have decided to write an accurate account for you, most honorable Theophilus. No idea who Theophilus is. But thank God that Theophilus was interested to know about Christ. And so Luke says, I'm writing this so that what? You can be what? Certain Certain of the what? Truth. Truth of everything that you were taught. And again, we talked last week about how we know that that the word of God is 100% from God because it's inspired by God. So we can be certain of this truth, which we call the word of God. Now, Paul wants Timothy to understand that there is no higher authority and no better source to equip him and perfect him as God's servant than the word of God. And it stands today. Now, why did, the, why did we break away from the Roman Catholic Church over 500 years ago? Because the Roman Catholic Church was saying, the word of God is not enough. We need to have the traditions of the church. We need to know the, the proclamations of past popes. And we need to consider what this saint said and what that saint said. And we also have to consider what the Apocrypha says. And Martin Luther stood up and said, no. No, no no more of this. This, is all, this has led us in a bad direction. And you could say, well, what was the bad direction? Well, at the point that, the, that, that Martin Luther had, had, a, had a fit, if you want to say that, was when, when the guy came to town selling indulgences, saying if you give X number of dollars, we'll get your family out of hell for you. We'll get them right out of purgatory. You put your money in the offering plate, and we'll spring your relative right out of hell, right into heaven. And Martin Luther watched not just the wealthy, but the poorest of the poor giving money, hoping to get their loved ones out of hell. He saw the abuse of it, and he saw that there was nothing in the New Testament or the Old Testament that would suggest or support such an idea. And it's for that reason that the Roman Catholic Church assembled the Council of Trent and said, we need to adopt the Apocrypha as the word of God because they could find in the Apocrypha verses that would support their evil theology. Do you understand where we're going here? So we have the Word of God. It is a solid rock, and all other ground is sinking sand. Every philosophy of man, every idea of man, every, every Marxist idea, every capitalist idea, every idea... That is not of God, is not a rock on which you will be able to base your life. Does everybody understand this? In the 1600s, the English ministers, they wanted their people to know what they believed and why they believed. Because up to that point, remember, nobody had a Bible. Everybody just went to church and just believed whatever the priest said. And the Westminster, the Westminster divines, as they were called, or the Westminster ministers, Doctors of the church, they said, the people need to know the word of truth. They need to know what they believe. And you've often heard me say it. What is the chief end of man? That's how the the Westminster Confession, written in 1646, that's how it begins. What is the chief purpose of every human? And what's the answer? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Everybody knows that, right? Because you've heard me say that so many times. If you want to know what your purpose in life is, it's to glorify God, to to shine the light on God and say, here is our great and wonderful God. And And then it's very simply to enjoy him forever. But the second point in the Westminster Confession asks this question, what rule has God given to direct us on how we may glorify and enjoy him? And the answer, the word of God. The word of God, which is contained in the scriptures of the Old and the New Testaments, is the only rule to direct us in how we make glorify and enjoy God. And then, want to know what the third one is? The third question in the Westminster Confession, what do the scriptures principally teach? The scriptures principally teach that man is to believe what man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. That's the power of Scripture. What the Westminster divines are saying is that without the Scripture, how do you know how to serve God? How do you know who God is? How, how can you be equipped? How can you be perfected? How can you know how to please God? And folks, listen, this is why God gave us his word, and this is why you must know Your Bible. This is why you must read your Bible every day. This is why you must study the Word of God. And one of the things that I taught my family: get a ruler and get a pen or pencil and underline the word as God speaks to you and watch what it will do. And please get a real Bible. You can't, I know that they've got underlining equipment and highlighting equipment on your technology, but have a Bible. Disconnect from technology so that while you're reading, reading Timothy and God's speaking to you, you, got a, you don't get a text from your best friend asking, "Do you want to go bowling on Saturday?" Concentrate on God and on God alone. Now, let me just close with this. This is this is Joshua He's come to the end of his life, and he says to the people of Israel, "And now I'm about to go the way of all the earth. That is, he's going to die." And you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. Does that sound like certainty to you or doubt? Is it certain? This is his testimony. This is the young man that stood side by side with Moses this is the young man who watched Moses in the tent of meeting talking to God. This is the young man who was sent with Caleb into the promised land to spy uh, on the people of the land. This was the guy that said, yes, we can do that. And what was the confidence? What was his confidence that would give him that assurance that they could go into the promised land and conquer the promised land? It was that he knew God, and he knew God's word, and he knew that God never breaks his promises, that every word out of by God is a word that you can go to the bank on. You can stand on it, and you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God always keeps his promise. And everybody said? Let's stand. Father, thank you this morning for your word. Thank you that it is a solid rock on which we can can base our lives, on which we can live our lives. We thank you that your word equips us, it perfects us, it fits us, it uniquely prepares us to do your work and make us holy. We're praying, Father, that there would be a revival of the love of the Word of God in this church, and that if anybody in this church has not got a Bible yet, they would quickly get one, and that they would start to study it like they've never studied it before. We see in history that where there is a brand-new love of the Word, a brand-new commitment to the Word of God, then there is also a revival that follows. That's what we need, Lord. We need a revival in our midst. God, do this work, we pray, in Jesus' name. And everyone said it with me? Amen. Tell the person beside you, go read your Bible. <laughs>